Hey guys, this is Bob Artiste, ring announcer for ECW. You're watching Insider's Edge podcast. The following announcement has been paid for by the WZWA Network. Gentlemen, welcome to the Insider's Edge podcast here on the WCWA Network. I'm your host with the most on the West Coast, California, in Fury, and it is great to be with you again. Our YouTube, our podcast is growing by leaps and bounds as each week goes by. I, I, I can't believe the success that we're seeing so far, and we're getting a lot of uh, a lot of compliments on on getting guests on the show that don't usually get thrown into the, the video podcast world. And, and that's what I, it's all about, because as far as I'm concerned, everybody's story in the wrestling business is just as important and it's interesting as one another. And this man right here, I'm sure has a very interesting tale to tell of his time in professional wrestling, having been in extreme championship wrestling for a very long period of time. And I want to take this opportunity when I introduce this guest to be somebody that can announce him for once, because this is somebody that is a ring announcer. He is an announcing artiste. He is the one and only Bob Artiste. You got it. Good morning or good <laughs> evening to you. <laughs> How you going, Bob? Uh, it's great, great to night. speak to you. Great to speak to you. Of course, bro. Um, I really... Uh, uh, thrilled to talk to you today and i want to thank bay ragney for um getting us in touch uh yeah, friend of mine yeah great guy um and bob first question when uh we have people on the show is when you were a young man before you got in the business how did you become a fan of wrestling if you did i always watched it let's face it uh, i was always a big wrestling fan watched it on tv uh would go to the uh, philadelphia arena and the philadelphia spectrum which is where the uh, wrestling was held at that time when I was younger and uh, never, never thought I would be involved in it, obviously. And uh, it just, it just happened. It was crazy. Uh, Joel Goodhart, who was running the Tri-State Wrestling Alliance about 1986, I met Joel and his promotion was building and he asked me if I wanted to uh, be a ring announcer. Uh, he was expanding. And at the time he asked me, I was so busy with my regular job. I told him, told him, no, I wasn't interested. And at that point, I was still just a wrestling fan. I didn't know that much about Joel. And he asked me a second time and I thought about it and I thought, let me give it a try. And that was the beginning, 1986. Wow, that's amazing. So I could, did, did your friend think that you just had a voice that would be great for ring announcing or was he just, he couldn't find anyone else? What was the... <laughs> yeah, I, I believe he couldn't find it. I, his promotion was growing so fast, and he and I really hit it off together. So I think he, he would enjoy working with me. And as far as the voice part, I, I have no idea. In fact, I still listen to my uh, my tapes uh, online or on Facebook and stuff. I still don't like my voice. So uh, <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people are like that. So uh, no, it, we, I, we were just good friends, and I think he just wanted me to work with him. And uh, from there, it went on to uh, Tri-State Wrestling and, of course, ECW. 
Of course. I mean, this is 1986. This is six years before there's an Eastern Championship wrestling. Um, please tell me about your experience there in Tri-State. I know, it's, you know, it's, everyone says, says it's like the precursor to ECW. And uh, in that company, they started doing some of those uh, kind of crazier things. Uh, what's your perspective of that company? And, and for anyone out there that doesn't know much about it. We had a lot of fun. Uh, we would run in venues that probably drew maybe three or 400 people. And then Joel would uh, run the Philadelphia um, Civic Center uh, once every couple of months. And there he would draw two or 3,000 people. Uh, so it was really a growing promotion. Uh, what Joel did uh, that no other promotion did in this area, uh, because you didn't have your cross promotions then. You had your territories the way they were. Uh, he would bring people in that you would never see before uh, into this area. Say like just for example, Austin Idol. Uh, somebody like that would never wrestled in this area. He would bring people in like that. Uh, Eddie Gilbert, guys that wrestled in the South. Um, so his promotion was really unique in that way. Lex Luger. Um, that they would be his big shows. He would bring in the big names. And then the smaller shows, it was all local guys. But it was, it was really it was just a, it was a real um, home group of people. And we had a lot of fun. We traveled together. Like I said, most of the shows were in two, 300 you know, seat buildings, uh, except for his big shows. And he ran for quite a while. And I think without really saying anything uh, against Joel or not really knowing what the business was then, I think it got to the point where he was just over promoting, bringing in these big names and big names. And you just, you, after a while, you just can't pay for them. And the Joel basically went out of business. Right. So um, why do a lot of people feel like this becomes Eastern Championship Wrestling? Is, is, this, is this something that's a thing? Maybe I should have done a bit more research on, on Tri-State, but um, does it kind of lead into, the, into being Eastern Championship Wrestling? I will give you the whole setup because I was in the office when it, when we became Eastern Championship Wrestling. When Tri-State folded, Todd Gordon, who was a good friend of Joel's, and Todd Gordon also did some um, ring announcing, Todd Gordon didn't want to see it die, and neither did I, and uh, a few other people. Uh, Larry Winters, who was one of our wrestlers, and uh, Steve Truitt, who was our sound guy. We all met in Todd's office at Carver W. Reed. I, I remember the four of us, actually my wife, the five of us sitting there saying, how can we keep this thing going? We can't let it die. And at that point, we decided that we would start Eastern Championship Wrestling in Todd's office. Todd would be the, the, the money man, the founder. I was going to handle uh, advertising and the ring announcing. Uh, Steve was going to be the sound guy and Larry was going to be our booker. From that day, Eastern Championship Wrestling began. Right. Awesome. That's uh, now I know. Now I know exactly how it all came about. That's, That's really exactly cool. how it started in Todd's office. Excellent. Excellent. Um, so back to the ring announcing, you know, uh, Eastern Championship Wrestling begins in 1992. But, um, you know, as the, you know, as you first starting out ring announcing and as the years go on, you know, at first, you're probably just trying to find your feet, figuring out how to how to go about it. You know, were, were there any uh, ring announcers that maybe you took a bit of, uh, I don't know, a liking to that maybe um, might have influenced you a little bit? 
No, because I actually hadn't really thought about doing it. You know, until, until Joel just pumped <laughs> it to me, and that was it. You know, I, I so I hadn't really watched anybody, uh, you know, and really thought about it. Uh, I do know I was so nervous my first show, I almost forgot my own name. Uh, <laughs> I really, I was really nervous the, the first show. It, it, was, it was in Philadelphia in the, the Philadelphia Sports Bar, that's where it was. And I remember Joel saying to me in the beginning, uh, and I guess because he knew I was nervous, is don't even worry about what you're saying because the wrestlers really don't listen to their introductions. Well, that's not the truth. I'll take that. <laughs> that was just to settle me down. Because wrestlers are very particular on their introductions. So that was it. Like I said, I was nervous in the beginning, and then I really started feeling good about it. I enjoyed it. I it had great rapport with all the wrestlers, which made it fun. And from that point on, after about the third or fourth show, I really felt comfortable. And then, of course, when I went with ECW, it all started over again because we went from three, four hundred seat buildings to uh, crowds of six, seven and eight thousand people. <laughs> that, of course, was a little bit different. <laughs> I can imagine. Um, yeah. So uh, the early days of Eastern Championship Wrestling, uh, you know, before Eddie Gilbert comes in, um, I talked a little bit to uh, Mr. Bay Ragning about this because he was on the roster during those times. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, these are, you know, the humble beginnings of Eastern Championship Wrestling. Um, tell me a little bit about those early days. You know, uh, I guess you, you were in Tri-State and now you you, you want to keep it going. It's got a new name. You know, were there struggles in those early days for the company? Well, basically, we're still, we're using the Tri-State Wrestling. We're, we're really like Tri-State Wrestling, just under a different name. And Joel wasn't involved with it. Todd Gordon was now. And, and we were, the shows weren't anything like ECW shows. They were very calm and friendly oriented. Uh, we couldn't really afford to bring in big names. So it was all the local guys who were really running the show and really good local guys. I mean, that they were doing great job. Bay was one, the Sandman, Tommy Cairo. These were the top notch guys. And then we would bring in, uh, I remember we brought in uh, Don Morocco, uh, Jimmy Snooker, uh, for a run here and there, and maybe a few other names, uh, but it really, really didn't grow until Eddie Gilbert came in. And then, of course, Eddie uh, added that that south or that southern uh, tier to it, where he was bringing some of his guys in, which really made it interesting because these were guys we never saw before. And and he he Eddie started adding the different feuds that were really unique. Uh, the feuds where you had you would have groups of three or four wrestlers being a certain clan, and they would all be around the ring during the, during a match, and it really made it exciting. And uh, so th that's what I remember us really taking off when Eddie got here. Right. Correction. Right. Um, uh, as I was, when I was speaking to Bay about the whole thing, uh, he said when Eddie came in, a lot of those original uh, Eastern Championship wrestling guys kind of we're out the door as Eddie will bringing, was bringing in. Yeah, well, that's the only bad thing about wrestling. I'm sure that happens. It happens with when Paul came in, too. Yeah, a lot of the local guys who really helped build us were let go when Eddie was bringing his people in. But I'm, I'm guessing that's kind of normal. Right, yeah. Um, I, I, and I believe this is what uh, leads Bay to feel, uh, uh, forming Liberty All-Star Wrestling. Yes, uh, I worked for him with the LAW, yeah. 
Right. So, um, were there was there any um, you know, un- uneasiness about the fact that you were working with one company and and also uh, ECW? No, no. I, like I said, I got along great with the promoters and with the wrestlers. I really had a good rapport, and there was never any problems at all. No. Cool. Um, so th- things are growing as as time goes by. ECW Hardcore TV becomes a thing. Um, I've seen the first few episodes myself. Um, very interesting stuff. And um, you know, I was I was surprised to see Terry Funk in the first episode and all that. I, I wasn't aware that he had come in so early. Um, so you said that things started to really take off when Eddie Gilbert was uh, put in charge. What was your perspective when uh, all of a sudden Paul Heyman came in? Well, it surprised me uh, because obviously Paul came in while Eddie was here. And uh, I had understood that Paul and Eddie were really good friends uh, from previous uh, working together. And uh, things seemed to be really be going uh, well. And then I started hearing rumblings that Paul wanted to take over. Now, I don't know exactly if there was animosity there between he and Eddie, that part I wouldn't know, but I do know Paul wanted to take over. And finally, Eddie was ousted. Now, I don't know if Eddie quit on his own or he was actually dumped by Paul. That part I wouldn't know, it just happened. But I I know there was some animosity, a lot of it uh, towards the very end. And I remember Eddie's very last show, which was kind of like a goodbye in the ring. And that was it, Eddie was gone and and Paul was the new booker. Wow, Um, so what were your first impressions of uh a younger Paul Heyman uh, back then when you first met him? Uh, well, Paul has a great mind. There's just no two ways about it. He, he just, he just, uh, he's just incredible. He's not a real, like, it, it, I got along great with Eddie. Not that I didn't get along great with Paul, but, but Paul wasn't a real, Paul had his, his own group and I wasn't one of them. Paul came pretty much in and he brought a lot of people in from New York. And I was basically Todd's guy. So we didn't have that real close relationship, although we had a good working relationship. But as far as what Paul did uh, in the ring was incredible. It really was. And it looks like he was good for the company. Absolutely. Um, and, and the company evolves quite a lot as Paul yes. takes over. Um, you know, from your perspective, how could you see things evolving with Paul and his vision? Paul always wanted to do something different and new and introduce new things to what we did, which obviously he did. And Paul would get the most out of his wrestlers. I I remember Paul talking to us before every show and his motto was to make sure you entertain the fans. That was the number one thing to entertain the fans. And his wrestlers were really loyal to him. They would do whatever he asked them. There was never any griping on who was going to do the job. Everybody just did what they had to do. And that's what made ECW so special. And when Paul would start introducing these different angles and different endings and, and features, a lot of them we didn't even know about. Some of the, the surprise people he would bring in, he would keep them out in the parking lot. We didn't even know. And then all of a sudden they would appear. And it was amazing. It really was. So he, he was really good for the promotion and good for wrestling. Excellent. Um, so, you know, during this period of time, uh, I know you're the ring announcer, but did you have any other jobs that you um, would do within the company? I know a lot of people pitched in here and there for a lot of things. 
I, I guess kind of whatever they need. And see, I, I really had my own jobs. I, I was working two jobs. Basically, with ECW, we ran on weekends. So what I would do if we were going out of town, I would take Friday vacation from my regular job and then fly out. And of course, we would work Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, all within a closed area. And then I'd fly back in uh, either Monday morning or, or red eye Sunday night. I'd be back in work Monday morning. So I, I, uh, whatever they needed, I did if I could. But once, but basically just working on the weekends, we didn't have a lot of stuff going. During the week, of course, was television and, and promos and stuff like that, which I wasn't really involved with. And that was all done in, in New York. Uh, so yeah, so I didn't have much to do during the week, just on the weekends. Fair enough. Um, so I, I am skipping ahead a little bit, but I wanted to talk about uh, ECW Barely Legal 1997 and and how it, it felt for you to uh, be the ring announcer for the company uh, when they finally on pay-per-view for the first time. This must have been quite a thrill for everybody. It was incredible. Uh, all I remember before the show, and this is something you wouldn't normally see, is walking around the building, all the, the trucks and the dishes uh, on the roof of the trucks and all the wires coming into the building. It, it was incredible. In other words, before uh, the show even started, all the technicians walking around, uh, you know, getting this thing ready, it, it hit everybody. Wow, this is pay-per-view. Because so you kind of didn't really know what it was like until you saw all the behind-the-scenes stuff. It, it was incredible. And then once it started, other than us all trying to do what we could do best, I don't remember any other pressure, uh, just wanting to, you know, do our thing. But I think once the show started, it was just like another show. Right, fair enough. Um, but yeah, what a great moment in history. And it's, it's hilarious to me that right as the pay-per-view goes off the air, the uh, something happens, the power cuts out. The power, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the timing was incredible. And of course, we didn't, we didn't know it at the time. Uh, you know, until we found out later. <laughs> it's brilliant. Yeah. Uh, and and speaking of barely legal and that uh, that amazing moment right at the end of the show where Terry Funk uh, wins the the ECW Heavyweight Championship right at the end there. Um, I, there was something I wanted to bring up because I believe this is the first time I was made aware of you um, because you know I only became a wrestling fan probably late in 1998 when I was. I think 12 years old uh, right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I watched a documentary called Beyond the Mat and I believe uh, there was a whole section about Terry Funk having his retirement match mm -hmm. um, I, I just wanted to know how many Terry Funk retirement matches have you announced for Jeez. <laughs> maybe three <laughs> <laughs> I just I don't know why I just wanted to yeah. ask that one because yeah. <laughs> bit of a cheeky question um but yeah, things are, are riding high with ECW, but obviously there is a, another point in time that I thought would be interesting to get your point of view on. And that is um, Todd, Gordon Lee, Todd, uh, Todd Gordon leaving the company. Yes. Um, obviously this is a pretty big uh, thing that happened in the company's history. And I, I, I kind of feel like Todd doesn't get enough credit, um, you know, especially with the WWE's narrative of, of, what happened with ECW. I feel like he deserves a bit more credit, but how did you feel about Todd leaving the company? Well, Todd and I were close. In fact, we still are. Todd and I talk a lot. And uh, I really felt bad, especially knowing that what Todd did in the beginning, Todd really 
funded everything until Paul really got involved. And obviously we were not making money in the beginning. And Todd was, was really the, the money man. And so first of all, he didn't deserve to uh, be ousted if that's the right word. And as Paul got in and he, more power and more power, and Paul wanted to do his thing. And then of course there was the talk about Todd and some of the wrestlers with WCW. And, and we just heard, once again, in the locker room just hear rumors, unless you're one of those wrestlers. And then all of a sudden, like you said, Todd was ousted. Uh, yeah, I, I was really, uh, I, was, I was shocked. I really was, because I really didn't know exactly what was going on. And then all of a sudden Todd's gone. So uh, yeah, I can't give you a lot on that because I really don't know. Yeah, I mean, I will say um, I, I have, uh you know, watched a few Todd Gordon interviews about um, that whole situation. He's adamant that he wasn't some sort of mole. That, yeah, uh, that's, that's what they're using, right. Yeah, it's always that. That's always the word that was described. He was the mole, yes. and I, I, I yes. just, I, I don't. I mean, I, I see, I've seen the interviews that he's said I was not a mole, and I believe him because he's got a lot of conviction when he says it, and he doesn't seem like he's. Yeah, I don't think, no, I don't think he was. I mean, wrestlers, let's face it, wrestlers will talk to other organizations. I mean, that's yeah. that's the nature of the game. They want to, you know, plus at the time, uh, I'm guessing at that time, we weren't, ECW wasn't totally stable. I know a lot of guys were missing paychecks uh, or not getting their full pay. So, you know, guys start to look around a little bit. So I, I don't know that mole's the right word. No, I don't think so either. And, you know, if, if one of the big companies wants to get in contact with somebody that wrestles yes, for ECW, yes. they will find a way. They don't need Todd Gordon to help them out with the phone. You're 100% number. right. You're 100%. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, so like, for example, if, um, you know, uh, somebody wants to get into WCW, well, I know that Raven is friends with DDP. So I'll give Raven a call to get in contact with DDP, who knows Eric Bischoff. Like, 100%. You're 100% right. Sure. Yeah. Excellent. Um, okay, so a lot of these years, you're right there at ringside, and uh, I just wanted to get from you uh, memories being at ringside, and what were the most eye-opening things that took place in front of your eyes um, at an ECW show? What, what are some of the crazier moments that made you go, "Wow!" Like I thought I've seen it all. Yeah. Well, obviously, New Jack coming off the balcony or jumping off wherever he could was unreal it, it in fact be, before a show when we would be in the building and you know you'd be milling around new jack would be up in the ceiling honest to god looking to see where he was going to jump this is before the show yeah. and you would see him up in the rafters trying to figure out what he was going to do so of course that was one of the uh, unbelievable things uh some of the emotional things where when we had wrestlers working for us and then they were leaving, say like, I remember like Dean Malenko or Eddie Guerrero when they were having their last match here in Philadelphia and the fans would stand up and, and say, please don't go, please don't go. The emotion was unbelievable for these guys. I mean, the love you would feel. It, it was a crazy crowd. It was bloodthirsty. But then it was also the most loving crowd you could you could work for. Yeah. It, you know, it was it was so they were highlights. Uh, some of the matches I can't even think about, but some of the the spots that these guys would do, the chair shots that that, that were not pulled. I'm talking about chair shots where, mm. where I, the chair get dented on the guy's head, 
I mean, they gave all they could. I'm telling you, they really did. You'd go back in the locker room when the, when the show was over and these guys were stretched out on the floor trying to get their back worked on or this worked on or that work. I mean, they gave the fans all they had. So that would be my memories, just, just the work rate uh, that these guys put in. It was just unbelievable. Yeah, it is crazy the amount that these guys put themselves through, especially, you know, think of like a Sabu, Terry Funk, Barb Wire match. Yeah, Ooh. yeah. Oof, I mean, I when mean... you're watching this stuff, you know, I, I hate when people say fake. <laughs> There's no way with Barb Wire. Or when it was the match where I guess Dreamer went through two or three tables stacked on top of each other. I mean, that's, that's, you're watching that in front of you. That's unbelievable. <laughs> and people say things like, oh, the barbed wire, they probably clipped it and all that. But oh, Mark, no. they got tangled and they couldn't get out. <laughs> no, exactly. You know? No, it's crazy stuff. And some of the things, some of the great stuff that you don't see with ECW that that I really had fun with was in the ring with the the different guys when they're supposed to uh like when I announce them and they want me to change it you know and they'll come over and they'll whisper in my ear they want me to say something else and of course I know what I'm supposed to say some of the things they whisper in my ear are unbelievable <laughs> <laughs> trying to make me laugh it was crazy <laughs> yeah I thought there was a good rapport with a lot of the guys really I remember one funny thing we had a girl who uh, who was um uh I guess about the fifth or sixth row and she was flashing herself herself at intermission <laughs> So the next match, the next match was Sabu. Okay, now you have to picture this. Sabu at this time can't talk English, right? He never speaks. Not yeah. a word. Right, he can't talk. So Sabu comes into the ring. He's running around the ring like he normally does. He comes over to me and he says, where's the girl at? <laughs> and I it's so funny because he can't speak. You know what I mean? He goes, where's this girl? Where's this girl? <laughs> These are the things that went on with ECW that, like I said, you wouldn't normally know. And it was some great memories, a lot of fun. Absolutely. And there are a few incidents that I wanted to bring up and see um, your feelings on them as you're seeing them take place in front of your eyes. And uh, the team I wanted to bring up was the Dudley boys and how they would nearly incite riots with some of the heat that they would draw. Were there ever times where you felt a little bit, uh, you know, worried about your safety because of how crazy they would get those fans? They really built, they really built up the, the heat. There's no two ways about it. And, and here's two guys that didn't really work together in the very beginning when Paul brought, Paul had this whole idea of the Dudley boys there was about six of them at first. Obviously, Bay was one of them. And we didn't even know if it was going to work. And they, they were going to come in as, as farmers. That's how it was set up. And uh, I guess Bubba Ray was great with the heat. I mean, he really built up the hatred. And then, of course, Devon uh, along with them. But they would get the crowd riled up. And, and he, would, he would go to any extreme to insult you or, or ju just get you mad, which is what happened. And you're you're right. You're hundred percent right. There was sometimes I thought there would be a riot, really. <laughs> and there was another incident that I, I was always uh, interested in. I've had the chance to ask anyone who might have been there to witness it, but uh, I know that there was a, an angle in the ring with uh, Shane Douglas and uh, uh, Pitbull Gary Wolf, and um, he had uh, his. Neck oh yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, that was uh, unreal. I, I believe yeah. that that became quite a serious situation when fans were literally like chasing yeah. Shane and Francine to their car. Uh, can you tell me your perspective? Yeah, that? you know, it's funny. Like I say, the, the fans were bloodthirsty, but <laughs> they they also felt sorry for certain, you know, in other words, when, when Gary had that halo on, they really felt sorry for Gary. And when he attacked them, instead of the fans being bloodthirsty, they all changed against Shane at that point. How can you be bloodthirsty, but also have a, a tolerance to stop, if you know what I'm trying to say? <laughs> That's how the fans were. It, it was it was really a funny thing because you would think the fans would have liked that part of it because that that's going over you know kind of over but no then they it's like stop now you can't do that <laughs> you know new jack and bashy with a trash can but don't touch gary's halo <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a funny thing <laughs> yeah, really you're, you're right and shane yeah he was he was hated there for a while in fact it built him up as a good heel yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Incredibly underrated as far yeah. as I'm concerned. Uh, yeah. Once again, Great. I always get annoyed with um, the WWE and uh, their narrative about things. Yeah. They, they never give certain people props because they're not their favorites. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Um, well, Shane was a great guy. He, really, he would do anything for the company. Anything. Absolutely. Um, and uh, one more incident I wanted to bring up was the, the crucifixion of the Sandman. Uh, that I didn't like. That's <laughs> that. That was no. That I didn't like. I got to be honest. I thought that was carrying it too far. Uh, I could when they when he did that, I could hear the fans. I could hear a woo, <laughs> like you got to be kidding me. Uh, some of the fans, of course, thought it was great, but a lot of them didn't, and I didn't like it myself. I thought that was kind of carrying it too far. But that's that's just me, you know. <laughs> Fair I enough. Mean, I mean, a lot of people felt the same, but and I remember telling Todd. I, I, I never, ever said anything about anything they did. Todd was still with them then. But I remember telling Todd, I think I called Todd. And I said to him, just my opinion. I said, but I thought that was horrible, you know, doing that. I said, that, that just wasn't right. And I mean, that was the end of it. But uh, yeah, I didn't like that. Yeah, it, it was a little bit on the nose, I must admit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, okay, we were speaking of fans. Uh, do, do you have any stories of any uh, funny interactions with the fans or uh, any moments where, uh, you know, because wrestling fans can be pretty weird at times. Did you have any weird moments with any fans? You know what? <laughs> they were. It was a well-behaved group. Uh, like I said, ECW... You had to be there. It, it was really a, a bond where the fans really respected the wrestlers and the wrestlers respected the fans. And other than the fans being bloodthirsty, like I said, I thought they were great. Uh, they cheered when they were supposed to. They booed when they were supposed to. And I worked with ECW, what, 12, 15 years. I can't remember any fan like reaching over or trying to get into, you know, anything at all like that. I, I don't remember much fan. I, I do remember the Dudleys, like you were talking about, a little bit of a maybe shoving and pushing with the Dudleys. But other than that, the fans really respected the wrestlers. Um, it, like I said, I thought it was a great relationship between both. Even when we went on the road, because the fans were just so amazed and thrilled to see ECW live that, uh, once again, there wasn't a lot of interaction that way. Fair enough. Um, okay. Uh, I wanted to ask you a little bit about, uh, you know, when 
every time it seemed like ECW, you know, starting to really cook with gas, then a few top names would get signed away from by WWF and WCW. You know, right. how did you feel about that in ECW having to keep rebuilding and and make another new top guy and another new top guy before they're off as well? You know, how did you well, feel about that? Yeah, your first reaction was you were glad for the guy being taken away because he was going to a, a a higher place or a better pay, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you were sorry to see them go, but you were glad for them. And a lot of them, uh, I really had a great rapport with them. A lot of them uh, I stayed in touch with. I remember when um, uh, Benoit, Shane, and uh, Eddie Guerrero all went to WCW. Now, this is later years. And I remember when WCW was in town for, uh, I guess, I don't know, they, were, they came in on Mondays. I'm, I forget now. But I remember that Shane called me. They were at the hotel and he called my wife and I and he said, do you want to meet at an Outbacks and we'll have dinner together? So like I said, I had a great rapport with these guys. So even though they were WCW then, I still had dinner with them, you know, when they were in the city. So like I said, I felt I felt good for them that they were getting a chance to go someplace else. The good thing with Paul is Paul had so many contacts that he'd bring somebody else in and he would build them up. And in and, and, and time, they, they were just as hot. That was the amazing thing. He could just keep replacing these people. And after a while, you didn't even think about them because he had somebody else in the ring that was just as good. So that, yeah. that, was, that was where Paul was really good. Yeah, it is uncanny how quickly it would be that you could just forget about the fact that there's this top guy like a Taz was there and now yeah. someone else has got the next spot and you, you've almost forgotten Taz was even there because now this focus is, it's been almost like this guy who's now the man has always been there. It just, it, it, well, I'll tell you, Paul has a great mind. I, I would see Paul thinking of an angle five minutes before we went out. Honest to God, he would be sitting there and you could see his head down and, and the wheels turning and all of a sudden he'd yell, okay, somebody come here and something was created right there right before the match it wasn't even something he had planned and it would work great it just worked great and of course these guys would would do it for him yeah paul is a, an interesting guy i remember uh joey styles told a story about um uh they were you know after the show they were editing the show paul was in the room but paul was like asleep like with his arms crossed like asleep yes, like this yes. And uh, they're editing things and he's asleep. But then like, you know, he wake up for a second. No, 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 you do this instead. And then and go back to sleep. Like he was editing the show whilst being in and out of sleep. I thought that was a crazy story. Well, here's a funny story too. I, I'll never forget this. Uh, after one of the shows, Paul, Todd, myself, my wife, and maybe two or three of the other wrestlers, we went out to the diner to get something to eat. And the whole time we were in the diner eating, Paul was going through an angle that he was thinking of. The whole time we were sitting there, he was going through an angle. What do you think about this? And then if we do this, and then, his mind never stops. It, it never stops. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, when I look back on, um, you know, the, the three companies that are my favorite, WWF, WCW, ECW, I look at WCW 
and I can always say, oh, you know, they could have done better by that guy, or they definitely did wrong by that guy. WWF, the same thing. Oh, this guy should have got a push. When I look back at ECW, I can't really think of anyone that didn't get given some good stuff to work with. Everyone seemed to get given an opportunity to do yeah. good things. And I just can't even think really of one person that was a mainstay there that wasn't given an opportunity to shine and show the, the best well, that they can be. That, here's an example, Mikey Whiprock. Mikey was uh, the ring crew. He, he, Mikey never wrestled. Mikey was the ring crew. And after they would set the ring up, Mikey would go into the ring and he would do some spots with a couple of the other guys that were, you know, on the ring crew. And Paul watched them one day. And Paul said, you know, we can do something with this kid. He became a wrestler. He became one of our top wrestlers. This guy was a ring crew. <laughs> that's exactly how it started. <laughs> he ended up winning every single belt. <laughs> yeah, it's like crazy. I remember him setting the ring up. <laughs> oh dear. It's, it's it's some great stuff. Um, okay, so this question here. Um, for you in the wrestling business, what would you say, you know, during your time in ECW, what's the proudest moment of your career uh being a part of that company? Jeez. Can't really think of a proudest moment. It was, uh, I, I, I guess, as I look back, I guess the proudest moment, or it wasn't a moment, was being involved with a promotion that without a doubt will go down in history as changing the wrestling world. There's no two ways about it. I was involved changing the, the world of professional wrestling. Uh, so that's something to be proud about because there's no two ways about it. It, it, it changed wrestling forever. I mean, there's things going on now that probably wouldn't even be happening if it wasn't for ECW. So I don't have one proud moment. It would be being part of a company that changed everything. Right. That's cool, man. Um, uh, so in my research, this is, it, it could be right, could be wrong. Did you leave ECW in 1999? And if so, why? Uh, let's see. I did. I did leave for about a, maybe six or seven months or something. Um I, you know what? I have to think why. I do remember leaving. Um, I don't, I, it might have been over a pay something or not being paid for a long period of time. And not not that the, the money was so, so much, but it was uh, just the the idea that, it, that I was going out there busting my butt. And um, I guess it was a time when he wasn't paying people. And that, that might have been pretty much it. And then I remember Paul came to me and we didn't have a disagreement, but we kind of made up or whatever. And then they had me, had me come back on a show where the Sandman brought me out. They didn't know I was in the building. And the Sandman brought me out with, with Missy Hyatt of all people. <laughs> and that's when I came back. So I was going to say maybe it was six or seven months I was gone. Yeah. So I, I, I think it was a paid dispute or just not getting paid. And I just got fed up with it. Right, because I'm trying to figure out the timeline of uh, when you might have been gone when Stephen DeAngelis, if, if that's how you yeah, pronounce well, his name. Yeah, well, Steve did a lot of the shows in New York. Steve was was Paul's guy. Steve and okay. Paul. Yeah. Steve and Paul. In fact, Steve produced something uh, on TV where he used Paul. So Steve and Paul had a, a big relationship. And Steve came came in. You're right. A couple of the times while I was going, we also had another ring announcer, Rocco, Rocco Musiano. 
Rocco would do it. And then Steve started doing the New York shows. Hold on one second. <laughs> Steve started doing the New York shows. Um, so I would go and I'd work the bell and he would do the New York shows. And then when we went on the road, um, I would do most of the shows. If I couldn't do a show, then Steve would try and do them because Steve had another job also. Right. So two guys that had jobs that had to you know, try work ECW in. Right. So now yes. I've uncovered it. You both did it at the same time, just in different towns or depending on the yeah. situation. Yeah. Steve, okay. Steve definitely did New York. That was that was his uh, his area. I okay. did do New York, and then Steve came in. I I mean I did New York also. Right. Okay. Now I'm starting to get the picture painted for me. I thought you left and you never came back after. Oh no, 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 I left and then I came back. I'm gonna say maybe like in seven months I came back, okay. and then I worked the rest of the time until the uh, the promotion folded. So I was there the whole time except for maybe seven months. Right. Cool. Um. I wanted, I don't know how, you know, familiar you are with uh, some of the other ring announcers in the business and what you think of their work. Uh, I don't know, maybe I'm thinking that uh, being a ring announcer is this intricate thing and, you know, some people have strengths or weaknesses that you might see, or maybe it's just you're just announcing people and maybe I'm just thinking too in depth about it. But I think there is an art behind it because I feel like when you ring announce, you give it this big fight feel. It feels like something real important about this is a, this is an important match that's about to take place. But I, I want to. I, yeah, I guess the way I went into it is I, I always thought that the fans weren't there to see me. They were there to see the wrestlers. And it was my job to get the wrestlers over in the ring. And that was my number one thing. I, I, I never once thought that there's people there to see me. In fact, if people asked me for an autograph or something, I actually got embarrassed. I would do it, but I would get embarrassed. Like I said, I, the fans were there to see the wrestlers, not me. And I think that's why I got along so great with the fans, because I think the fans sensed that also. I do know some ring announcers now, uh, and this is just my opinion, but I, I think what turns me off is they think they're somebody special, and they're not. They're there to get the wrestlers over, and they're not you know, like some ring announcers change their names, some kind of fancy name. I'm Bob Artiste, the ring announcer, period. You know, I do know some ring announcers that, you know, have actually changed their names. I don't know why, but, um, and then some of them have like their, their own uh, websites. There's no, way in hell. There's no way in hell I'd have a Bob Artiste website. I mean, that's just how I am. And I think that's why I got along. And I think that's why I get along so good with the wrestlers. Because they realized I was there for them and 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 for the fans and and that's which is plain Bob, you know, and and that's how I look at it. That's how I look at it. And you ask me, you know, what do I think of other ring announcers? I don't obviously go to a lot of shows or watch them, but I do notice if I go on Facebook, certain ones have their own website, certain ones change their names, and that's. I did go. I did go to a show. Um, I guess about well before the pandemic, it was in New Jersey. And the ring announcer changed, changes his name and he comes into the ring like dancing. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking <laughs> we're not there to see him. We're there to see the matches. That's so ridiculous. They, I, hopefully that answers your question. I'm just playing <laughs> Bob. 
know? <laughs> I wanted to rattle off a couple of uh, uh, ring announcer names from the business and, and just see what your opinion is of their work. Um, firstly, uh, Stephen DeAngelis, what did you think of him as a ring announcer? Oh, I like Steve. Yeah, I mean, Steve and I were, were buddies. So yeah, I, I like Steve, yeah. Uh, the only thing about Steve, it was funny, uh, with Steve is he, if there was anything going on in the ring or any wild stuff, he got out. Where <laughs> I used to get my ass kicked. That was the only difference. I, I, I took a deadly, the, the Dudley death drop. I remember being choked slammed by uh, Big Al. Uh, I'll never forget with Big Al. Big Al used to come out and choke slam people, if you remember that. And when he got into that, we did it around the circuit. So we only, didn't only do it in Philadelphia, but I think I was choke slammed in 15 different buildings. <laughs> <laughs> I used to say, whoa, enough's enough. <laughs> so I was more or less, I would do anything that they needed. to. I got caned. Uh, <laughs> Sandman caned me a couple of times. Uh, who else caned me? Uh, I got caned a couple of times, but I would do whatever they needed. But I know Steve did. That was the only thing with Steve. He got out of the ring. He wanted no parts of it. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. I actually had no idea that you'd taken the choke slam and you'd taken the Dudley death drop. That's oh, the, well, the, the funny thing about the Dudley death, this is what's funny about that. Um, it was in Chicago, pay-per-view. And we're in the ring and they say, okay, you're going to take the Dudley death drop. So they, I, let's practice it. So they would do it. And Shane, I remember Shane saying, mm, next time, hold your arm differently, all right? We did it again. Next time, do, we must have done it six times in the, <laughs> before the show started, I was so damn sore. <laughs> it went over great in the ring during the show, but the practicing part was a riot, you know? <laughs> Just move your hand here. You know, they were great. Guys. They, they protected you when they did it. When they did it in the ring, they they take care of you. So that's, yeah, that's brilliant. That is brilliant. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know what your thoughts were on one Gary Michael Capetta. Yeah, I like Gary. I thought he was pretty good. I liked him. I thought he did a good job. That was before I was really a ring announcer, but when I watched him, I thought he did a good job. Excellent. Uh, from the WWF, Tony Chimmel. I don't even know who that was. Oh, really? He, he was kind of like uh, their ring announcer, uh, like during the late 90s, 90s, 98, okay. 1999. Um, okay. his... To be honest with you, I haven't watched the WWF lately. So <laughs> Neither have I. <laughs> I, I. I'm so busy with my uh, other jobs that I haven't watched a lot of wrestling. Some of these people I may not even know. That's all right. Oh, I'm... I'm... Howard Finkel, of course, I, he was he was super too. That was my next name. I was going to bring up Howard Finkel. I met him twice. Real nice guy. Really yeah. nice. Down to earth. Yeah, yeah. But I don't. I haven't spoke to anybody that didn't like him. Like yeah. 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 You never hear a bad word about him. Uh, yeah. Um. Okay. From the the nineties in WCW, Dave Penza. Yeah, I I thought Dave did a good job. Yeah. Yeah, I know who you mean. Yes. Yep. Never um, met her. No. Um, Lillian Garcia. Well, it's hard to say because she was pretty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I thought she did a good job. I thought she did a good job. Maybe, cool. maybe, 
maybe I didn't really watch her because she was pretty to look at, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, and obviously from the boxing world as well, what do you think of Michael Buffer? Uh, just my opinion, too much of a show off. Right. Fair That's enough. My opinion. You know? <laughs> of course, again, you're, you're there to get the boxers over, not yourself. <laughs> well, I think he uh every time somebody uses let's get ready to rumble, he gets paid like ten thousand dollars or something. Yeah, yeah. Something. <laughs> like somebody uh, said to me one time, uh, do you want to use that line? I said, You gotta be kidding me. No way. <laughs> no <laughs> chance, no way. <laughs> um, okay. I I wanted to know um about when when ECW is closing down um in January of two thousand and one. Um were you at that last show in Pine Bluff or? No, I wasn't at the last show. No, he wasn't. Uh, money was so bad. He wasn't flying people. Ah. You know, he would fly me, put me up in a hotel, whatever, you know? So yeah. no, uh, we, we heard rumors. I didn't, we didn't, we didn't know that was the last show. Mm. We had heard rumors. Of course, nothing, nothing was ever definite. It was, it was the rumors were, He's trying to get more money or he's got something else up his sleeve or this, or we have another backer. Uh, you know, we kept hearing positive things, but we, none of us really believed that I guess we got to a point, especially when guys weren't getting paid and mm. uh, you know, stuff like that was going on. So we knew the end was coming. We just didn't know when. Right. So tragic. Um, yeah. Did you find out like everyone else, Paul shows up on Monday night raw and yeah. you know, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I guess looking at from Paul's aspect, I could see where he, just like with Joel, when Joel folded tri-state wrestling, you, you try and keep it going, I guess, as much as you can. And then all of a sudden you just realize it's, I can't do it anymore. That's it. I mean, there's, there's just no money, you know? I mean, uh, I guess that's what happens. They, they try and keep it going and you realize, you know, there's always that, well, maybe we can do one more thing or we can have one more pay for review or something like that. And it just doesn't happen. Mm. Right. So, I mean, how did you feel now that this thing that you were a part of for? Oh, disappointment. Oh, gosh. Uh, I mean, yeah, like part of my life was gone. Yeah. Like, almost like every weekend we were together somewhere, you know, e either local or on the road somewhere. And uh, yeah, all of a sudden it was gone. It was. Yeah. Uh, it was it was unbelievable. Uh, and then when ECW left, uh, Bay started his law, Liberty All-Star Wrestling. And uh, I worked for Bay. And there was another one, Wrestling Unplugged. I worked for them. There were some small, small promotions around. So I, I kept busy wrestle, uh, working shows. And uh, of course, it was all more independent guys. And, uh, and of course, much small houses, you know, like in a gym or a school, school gym or recreation center or something. But it kept you, you know, maybe one show here, one show there, that kind of thing. But I definitely, in fact, I miss it today. There's no two ways about it. I miss it today. When Absolutely. I do a show now, I'll think to myself, wow, I'll do a show maybe in front of 200 people. And I'll think nothing against the promotion, but I'll think to myself, my God, it'd be 8,000 people, you know, <laughs> yeah. w, you know. But uh, is what it is. Yeah, and I understand it. And you know that that's a big void. You know, yeah. And as I remember, Francine said, it, ECW, you, you all felt like you were a family. 
And then oh, no doubt, the friendship. Yeah. No yeah. doubt about it. Yeah. The friendships were great. They really are. I'm, I'm still in touch with the, the referees, Molino and Finnegan. Uh, and then with Francine on Facebook, uh, I mean, a lot of them on Facebook. Uh, once in a while, in fact, it was a, a WWE was in uh, Philadelphia oh, before the pandemic. And uh, I got I got in and I, I it's when a lot of the ECW guys were still with them just to see everybody. It was nice. And, uh, you know, is what it is. Yeah, um, I'm actually interviewing Jim Molino on Saturday. So oh, just, okay, okay. Very excited about that. You're my first ring announcer, and he'll be my first referee. So, um, very excited. <laughs> when you interview him, you can tell him that I remember him when he started out 50 pounds ago. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to write that down. Yeah, he's gained a lot of weight. <laughs> like that. I remember him 50 pounds ago. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, okay, so like ECW's closed down, and I, you know, I always find this to be the the an, another interesting topic to bring up. And you know, it's 2005. There's this documentaries come out, uh, DVD on the rise and fall of ECW, and right, it does yeah. really well, goes gangbusters. RVD gets in Vince McMahon's ear about, why don't you let us do one more show? You know, we're tough, you know, we can do it. And um, ECW One Night Stand is a thing. Who does, who contacts you about being a part of ECW One Night Stand? Uh, maybe, uh, maybe Todd. Maybe Todd, you know, I don't remember. I'm going to, I'm going to guess Todd Gordon. Or maybe Dreamer, because Dreamer was in the WWE office then, I believe, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, he was. Dreamer, yeah. Dreamer, it was Dreamer, yeah, yeah. I remember it now, yeah. Right, um, so I mean, yeah. this, uh, I mean, my friends, we sat there watching this just, uh, in absolute awe that it was one of the greatest pay-per-views that I've ever seen to you. Did it feel authentic ECW? How did it feel to be in the Hammerstein ballroom and, and, and be incredible. able to. Incredible to be part of that. It was incredible. Just the, the chanting. It was, it was unreal. And I remember the, uh, the WWE wrestlers were all up in the third balcony. Yeah. Watching this. And it, it was, it was crazy. Then Paul came out and did his prom promo and he pointed right at them. I mean, it was just an unbelievable uh, feeling being out there. It really was. I, I was. I was proud of the organization. Proud to be part of it. It was. It was kind of neat. It really was. That's great. And and it was a shame that a lot of the guys uh, were signed to uh, TNA at the time. So not all the ECW no. names could no. be there. But this was like ECW deserved to have uh, a send off. That that that. Full stop at the end of the sentence. Pine Bluff, Arkansas, isn't the place. No, 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 no. Yeah. This, yeah. this was this. This yeah. felt like this yeah. was the right most, way to most go. Of the stars were there. A lot of the top names were there. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I, and I remember it's it, it was crazy because now you figure we hadn't been in existence for a while. And yeah. I'll, I'll, never for, I'll never forget the Sandman's entrance. It was almost like it, nothing ever stopped. Mm. It was crazy. It's like you went back three years in history. It was, nothing changed. He come out with the beer and the music and the fans went crazy. <laughs> it was unreal. Absolute pandemonium. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know uh, if you were there. Um, 
the following ECW One Night Stand, did you also do that in 2006? Uh, yeah, yeah, did, yeah, I did that okay. one too. That was pretty much it, yeah. Right, so you and Steven did both shows. Yeah, Dreamer ran some of his own promotions in Philadelphia called Hardcore. Um, House of Hardcore. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't do those shows. Right, cool. Um, so you did the 2006 show for One Night Stand 2, uh, and yeah. ECW was returning to have like a weekly TV show. Um, right. Were you contacted to ring announce for that? Or was it just Stephen? No, uh, it was just Steve. Uh, they knew that because of my jobs, uh, there's no way I was going to quit a job. And, you know, because now you're talking about working during the week. Right. So they knew I, I wasn't interested at all. Where Steve was right there in New York. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, yeah. So obviously, ECW returns only to be killed off by WWE. I had. Uh, oh, yeah. Right, yeah. I had Louis dangerously on the show who was okay. working in the office at the time that ECW returned. Right. So he was doing a lot of the behind the scenes stuff for ECW, you know, um, communicating with promoters and uh, getting the venues uh, booked and all that stuff. He was doing all of that stuff. And he told me a really almost a sad story where he had found out from the office that they were planning to end it knock this thing on the head because they weren't vince wasn't happy with how it looked in the arena uh they did a house show in the arena and he wasn't right. happy with how it looked so it went from being tommy and paul could do whatever they want tommy was going to reignite his feud with cw anderson and just pretend that no time had, had gone by and they were just going to kick everything back off as if ecw never went away and then right. lou sat there with him and said tommy i'm really sorry to tell you this but um they're gonna kill it and okay. um, i didn't know that part. i just remember them having the show then it was it that was it that was it yeah 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 so, something i didn't know yeah <laughs> yeah so um like for me it's uh it's you know a very disappointing thing as a fan for me that um you know i had all these high hopes and yeah within a few months it was just like a watered down version of raw Smith. yeah it was it, it was it, it became a joke it really yeah. did yeah absolutely um so from there um bob i wanted to ask you you know what do you hope that you are most remembered for in your time in wrestling i i guess by the fans for doing a good job, uh, I guess from the wrestlers, for me putting them over and and just being their their friends. I mean, just being the, uh, uh, just having that rapport that I have with them, which I which I still do with the ones I see. It's a it's a great rapport. You it, you know what? It's a great business, and it's a very close knit. Well, obviously, it has to be close knit because of the you know the what it is, and um, the ones you you really stay close with uh for example now um i used to uh we have we have a spare bedroom our house it's just my wife and i and when certain wrestlers who you really became friends with would come in for a show we would have them stay at our house rather than go to the hotel and then i would take them to the hotel the next day so we had ivan koloff jimmy snooker don morocco uh, Al Perez, Jim Neidhart, uh, Bob Wharton Jr. I can't think of all of them, but these are ones we really became good friends with. 
And we just had so much fun just talking, going out to eat. Then I would take them to the airport the next, uh, you know, the next Sunday morning, they'd fly out. And a lot of times when they came back, we would do it again. So these are memories I'll never forget. And, and I'm not one, this is funny. I'm not one, I don't have pictures. I don't have this, you know, like I'm not one to say, hey, Ivan, let me get a picture with you. It, right, it's, just yeah. the, it's just the memories. We had just great memories, you know, of talking with them, visiting with them. And I, and I felt that I had a great rapport with them. You know, I just talked to Don Morocco um, Tuesday. I called him Tuesday night. Uh, so like I said, certain ones I still stay in touch with. Al Perez, the Latin heartthrob we went, we went golfing with. <laughs> Eddie Gilbert, when Eddie Gilbert was here, we played ball with him. And he loved baseball. So that was a report, uh, the kind of the report I had with them. It was a friendship, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. And that, that's, what I enjoy, that's what I enjoyed the most. Uh, we had a good time with a lot of them. That's fantastic, Bob. Really, really appreciate you sharing that with me. Um, it comes to this segment here now, Bob. It's called Five Second Frenzy. You have five seconds to answer each question. Even if you break the five seconds, it's okay. Uh -oh. Because I've had many guys who have uh, taken a lot of bumps over the years on the, on the right. show. And you've taken several 3Ds. So if you can't answer them uh, in five seconds, you won't get in trouble. It's okay. <laughs> okay. So Bob Artis, the first question. Who is your favorite wrestler? Don Morocco. Excellent. Um, what would you say that your favorite match that you've uh, witnessed in person Anything involving George Steele. Awesome, awesome. Um, Bob, what's your favorite book? Uh, anything on hockey. Excellent. Uh, favorite TV show? Jeez, I don't watch TV a lot. Sports. Sports. Hockey. Hockey. Ice hockey, uh, you know, the, the bit of the NHL. Yeah, um, big NHL fan, yeah. Excellent. I find it funny. Uh, over in Australia, we call it ice hockey. Uh, but over there, it's just called hockey, right? Ice hockey. Ice hockey. Okay, ice cool. Yeah. I had a Canadian friend make fun of me because I kept calling it ice hockey. So I don't know. Well, there is field hockey. So you're yeah. right. It's ice hockey. It is ice hockey. Yeah. Okay, good. All right. So I was right. Uh <laughs> right. Yeah. Favorite film, Bob? Slapshot. Brilliant. Fantastic film. Uh, and when I was a kid, I really loved the Mighty Ducks. Um, that was another good one, yeah. Yeah. Uh, favorite musical artist? Oh. Righteous Brothers. Nice. Uh, favorite food? Spaghetti. Nice. Uh, favorite place to eat on the road? Any Italian restaurant. Very nice. Uh, third last one, your favorite alcoholic beverage? Wine. Nice. I, I've been partaking a little bit. Tonight. Okay, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, like red wine. That's red it. Wine. Yeah, I like red wine. Oh, brilliant. Uh, I mean, if you like Italian food, you have to like red wine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, second last one, Bob, the naughtiest one, uh, your favorite female body part? Mm, female body her, her mind. Yeah, we've we've had that a few times. The mind is uh, is always a very popular one on the show. Uh, and the last one, Bob. I don't think you've sworn on this show. I don't think you swear. Maybe you do, but what would be your favorite curse word? 
I don't curse much. Uh, maybe shit. <laughs> Damn. I don't know about it. Yeah. It may be when you stub your toe on the on the leg of a table, you might. Yeah, say I, I don't. Yeah, because of my job and I'm around kids a lot, and I, yeah, I don't curse a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough, mate. Well, uh, Bob, I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me for an hour here tonight, and uh, I really. I you did i enjoyed as much as you did this was fantastic we had a great laugh together and it was great to um hear you reminisce on some of your fondest memories of your time in a very important period of your life with extreme championship wrestling uh and just to learn a little bit about you and and um your journey is uh something that's really enthralling for me uh, and I just wanted to say, you know, I live in the most isolated city in the world, Perth, Western Australia. And I was always extremely impressed with um, the way that you did your thing. And I think being in the most isolated city in the world, it shows how far that someone can reach. So I just wanted you to know that someone this far away appreciates you, my friend. Well, that's, yeah, it's if you like it, you know what I mean? If you like it, uh, you can you can have fun with it. And that's just like you, you do a great job and your knowledge of wrestling is tremendous. I can tell just from talking to you how much you enjoy doing what you're doing. Absolutely. This is the best thing I've ever done this show. So um, right. I want to thank you, Bob. And uh, once right. I um, end the show, I'll just want to talk to you for another minute and uh, then I'll let you go. Sure. My pleasure. Okay. <laughs> thank you, Bob Artis. And thank you, everyone out there, for watching the Insider's Edge podcast here on the WGWA Network. I'm your host with the most on the West Coast, California in Fury. And we will see you next time. Thank you.